Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 6, and also in our bulletins, we will confess the words of the Heidelberg Catechism here in just a moment. On page 3 in your bulletin, you'll see the Confession of Faith. Today we conclude our series in the Lord's Prayer on the gospel, in the Gospel of Matthew, but we continue to go forward in the Gospel of Matthew after this, Lord willing. Hear now Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Brothers and sisters, what is the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, printed there in the middle of page 3? We answer together. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment, and besides, our deadly enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, assail us without ceasing. Be pleased to preserve and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may make firm stand against them and not be overcome in this spiritual warfare, until finally complete victory is ours. Amen. Loved ones, what would things look like if Satan took over a city? You maybe heard this question raised. It was raised by a man probably 70 years ago, Donald Barnhouse. The first frames in our mind might show mayhem on a massive scale. Violence, rioting, wickedness, deviant sexualities, pornography all around, churches shut down, worshipers being brought to jail. And indeed, in many places, that is the work of Satan. He is a roaring lion seeking to devour That's one picture. But we also remember the Bible says Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What would that mean? Barnhouse says this. When Satan takes over a town, in one sense, all of the bars and pool pool halls are shut down. Pornography is banished. The streets are perfectly clean. Everyone is very friendly to each other as they walk by. The kids are very respectful of parents and authority. The churches are filled on Sunday where Christ is not preached. Loved ones, Satan is active as a roaring lion and disguising himself as an angel of light. Satan is active trying to get churches to be focused on moralism and self-improvement and legalism and not on the gospel. Satan is active in trying to get us to get rid of the law of God and live however we want in antinomianism. It's not either or, is it? It's both and. We are in dreadful danger. We often don't realize it. We live perilous lives, dangers within and dangers from without. And this part of the Lord's Prayer reminds us to pray, God, help. God, deliver. Because we are 
in the midst of temptation all around us and within us. The Christian life is a continual war. It's easy for us, isn't it, to make excuses. So easy to come up with lies that we think others will believe when we say. So easy to deceive and covet and pride clings to us. Why is that? Because when Adam sinned, he took all of us down with him. Sin is our condition. We need a heart transplant. We need regenerating grace and the work of God's Spirit. And as Christians, as those who are born from above, the nature of sin doesn't change. Do you know that? What changes is its status in our lives. As those who are united to Christ, sin no longer reigns in us, but it remains. That's the front where this spiritual battle rages. First, enemies that tempt us. We saw in the Heidelberg Catechism a good summary of the three enemies that are continually assaulting us. The devil, the world, and the flesh, meaning our own sinful nature. The devil, meaning Satan. Whoever has God as his or her father has Satan as his or her enemy. And as Kevin DeYoung rightly says, this petition, did you notice how we read it in the scripture and then the catechism said something different? Not entirely different, but another word was added. Deliver us from evil, or is it deliver us from the evil one? Most likely, as DeYoung says, deliver us from the evil one. It's not saying that they're contrary to each other. But that's what we're praying for foundationally here. Satan is the evil one. Evil is not an impersonal force or a vague dimension of immorality. Satan means adversary. He's the opponent of God and all who love God. Devil means slanderer. He is the ruler of this present evil age. He is a ferocious lion. And he has been the enemy of God's people ever since Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3. God says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, one person brings this out. It's not that the devil most likely has personally attacked you as the devil, maybe, but Satan's not everywhere present all at once. It's more like when the U.S. soldiers in World War II fought against Hitler. The soldiers didn't see Hitler face to face, but they fought against his evil empire. So it is with us and the devil. Satan is our enemy, and we wrestle, Ephesians 6, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is so practical. David Strain brings this out. I hadn't thought of this until I read his remarks. Too often when we think about our enemies, our attention 
never rises above people in our lives that we're mad at. Kids, it could be your brother or sister this morning. You think, that is my enemy, and I'm so mad at them right now. And mom and dad, they don't let me have fun. And ah. Other people then in our minds become our great opponents. But we forget what Ephesians says. If we never think our opposition goes any deeper than people in our lives, we're always going to find it hard to forgive them. And to live in bitterness toward them will be easy. That's why this petition flows from the other. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But if we know, no matter how fierce the opposition of people around us might be, that behind it all stands the malice of the evil one himself, Strain says, we will have discovered one of the keys to forgiveness. We will begin to realize no matter how hateful someone might be toward us, they're not really our ultimate enemy. The devil is our ultimate enemy. How does he assail us? In a book, one writer talks of three ways. First, the fiery darts. Picture this, kids. Pilgrim's Progress brings this out. An arrow with fire on it coming and attacking you in the way, first of all, as a great deceiver. The Bible says Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. He's a liar. He wants you to doubt God's word. He wants you to rebel against what God has said. And he does it as well by targeting our conscience and our minds. He accuses us. That's his great and evil work in our life, as Christian Sproul says. He is the accuser of the brothers, Revelation 12. Zechariah 3 brings this out. There's Joshua, the high priest. He's dressed in dirty clothes. R.C. Sproul has a children's book called The Priest with Dirty Clothes. It's a great accessible book for us to look at. It's based on Zechariah 3. He's standing in these dirty clothes before the angel of the Lord, and there is Satan at his right hand accusing him. You don't love God. You're filthy. You are angry with your kids today. You are dragging them to church. You didn't want to come to church. You wanted to find reasons to skip church. You've been full of pride all week. Your lustful heart, your coveting. God doesn't love you. You're a wretch and you're unloved. Just give it all up and chuck it all and live for yourself. You're a fraud. That's what he says to us. He wants you to think you're beyond God's redeeming grace. Oh, he's at work in many different ways. Willem Gurnall brings this out. When someone's first converted, the devil will try to discourage that new believer as they are now in a fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. When you're afflicted, Satan will come after you. If God loved you, this wouldn't be happening. You wouldn't be sick. When you've achieved some success, especially on the Lord's Day, after we worship with God's people, after a full meal, we tend to be drowsy. Just 
in terms of eating. So it is spiritually. We are apt to grow slumber, uh, to, to slumber and for Satan's arrows to shoot at us, especially on the Lord's day. Satan comes when we're idle. Idleness is the devil's playground. If the devil finds us inactive, one man says, he will soon find something for us to do. Idle hands are the devil's hands. Satan wants us to take the easy way out. I'll give you a crown without the cross, he says. Pleasure, no pain. You can have success and admiration, no affliction. Just worship me. Satan's at work when the Christian is isolated from other believers. We can't live the Christian life alone. The Lord's Prayer is corporate. It says here, deliver us together. By God's grace, we are united to Christ and to one another as the family of God. Satan attacks us when we're not in prayer. Have you noticed that in your life? It's so easy to go about our day and our week and sometimes not give thought to prayer. And when that happens, Satan is at work. Paul says, Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the spirit, your father loves you. Jesus is your elder brother. And the communion we have with God in prayer is a great delight to us. When we don't commune with God in prayer, Satan is certainly there attacking. He attacks when the Christian is dying. He tells the Christian who's dying, you're a hypocrite. Death is striking at the body. Satan is striking at the soul. Deliver us from the evil one. Satan. We have another enemy, the world. So we see here, not only Satan, but the world comes at us from outside of us. When Adam sinned, he listened to the ear of the devil, the evil one. He ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And evil intrudes into God's good universe. The world is our enemy, not the world that God created. This is my father's world, right? We love the creation of God around us. But in the sense that Dale prayed, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So world, as an enemy that tempts us, is this present evil age, the system of rebellion and pride, Vanity Fair. That's how Bunyan put it in Pilgrim's Progress. There's all sorts of halls in Vanity Fair. One temptation for one person is different than another for another person. Evil comes in many forms. Revelation chapter 6 describes some of them. The horsemen of the apocalypse. They bring war and conflict, famine and disease. Evil has intruded every part of God's world, political, social, judicial, economic, across the spheres. You look at the news, the headlines. They are all about the dimensions of evil that have intruded into God's good world. People are angry on the news. Hateful. So empty on social media. Images of pornography. All around. Shiny treasures on Amazon. 
you got to have it. You see, it's coming at us nonstop. First John, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Worldliness, a term, meaning sin is normal, godliness is abnormal. That's what worldliness is. Enticing us, wooing us, infecting us. It's a jungle out there, but it's also a jungle in here. Satan, the devil, the world, and our third enemy, the flesh. The Bible doesn't mean by the flesh your body. It's not that your body is bad and your soul is good. No, we are body and soul. Jesus came to save us both body and soul. But Galatians 5, the desires of the flesh, temptations that arise from within, whatever is in us that is not a fruit of God's redeeming grace, our hearts are sinful, desperately wicked. Lust and selfish ambition arises from within. We read it in James 1. We are tempted when we are lured and enticed by our own desires. Temptation is anything that is said or done that moves us to evil and sin. It's a heart problem. Our life direction, our desires, our motivations. It's a fishing metaphor that James brings out, isn't it? So temptation is this internal influence that comes from us when a circumstance engages our desires, like a fishing lure trying to get that walleye to bite, and you're already tasting that fresh walleye for dinner. Except this is not a good thing. Our sinful desire gives us a hunger for what is forbidden, and the circumstance acts like a lure. We're tempted to take the bait. It's out of the heart, though, that the problem lies. The the, the question is this, what is motivating me? But it's actually low below that. There's a, a second layer. Paulison brings this out. Not only what motivates me, but who is the master of this pattern of thought, feeling, and behavior? Who? Why does he say who? Because we are religious worshipers, all of us. We are inevitably bound to one God or another. We are either dead in sin, enslaved to Satan, or by grace through faith, united to Christ. We have masters and lords and gods. The world around us, other people, valued objects, or ourselves. God, deliver me from evil. Not only because I see it around me, but mainly because the root lies within me. My evil imagination Our heart is the greatest tempter. So when we sin, it's not because the devil made me do it. It's because I wanted to do it. Every sin is an inside job. And if we want to admit it and be honest, we'll say, you know what? Sometimes, yeah, I really like temptation and I really like this sin. And I like the pleasure it brings. There's an ad for a car. It listed the seven deadly sins, lust and greed, etc. And then the, the ad said, prepare to shift 
effortlessly from temptation to exhilaration. The all-new XJ8L. Where will it lead you? Can you resist? And when it comes to our temptations all too often, the answer is no. I feel powerless to resist. This is a prayer that we would not give in to these seductive allurements. Satan says, you can just do it and stop whenever you want. Everyone's doing it. The world says, love me and you'll have what you desire. And everyone's tempted differently. Some want to feel good and escape from whatever we're facing. They want pleasure. Others want recognition and pride and to have control of everything around. Others want to be, as C.S. Lewis said, in the inner ring. We want to be in the circle, the in crowd. De Young says this, In which room is the devil whispering in your ear? Is it in the bedroom with all the pleasure it offers? The boardroom with the promise of power? The bathroom mirror with pride? Or a combination of all three? We must know our enemy and know where we are particularly tempted. Temptation, opportunity, and besetting sins come together, and that's what we need to be aware of. Every temptation, loved ones, is a test of our view of God. God is not the father of our temptation. He's the father of our satisfaction. And we see that secondly in the testings that God uses to sanctify us. Temptation in itself is not sin. That comes out here because another aspect of the word for temptation means test. The Bible at times, talks of temptation as a trial. What does that mean? It's a reminder that God does not tempt us to sin, that God is the father of our satisfaction, not our temptation, but God does test us to sanctify us by his spirit. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance and steadfastness. Ligon Duncan says this, there are differences between God's testing and Satan's tempting. God comes to us and tests us because he loves us. He's kind and generous. Satan is evil. God's purpose is to refine us to strengthen us, to make us more like Jesus. Satan wants to destroy you. The end of God's testing is his glory. The tricky part is that testing and temptation sometimes come together at the same time. Remember Abraham? I promise you a son, Abraham. Abraham wanted that son right now. He didn't want to wait. The test was in the waiting. Abraham takes things into his own hands. Satan turns the 
test into a temptation. Abraham goes and sleeps with Hagar and fathers a child, Ishmael. Abram's selfishness takes God's test and he succumbs to a temptation to do it himself. And in our own lives, that is so often what we face. We don't want to wait on the Lord. We don't want to cry out to the Lord. We want to fix it. We want to control our circumstance and people around us. By God's grace, he wasn't done with Abram. God comes later and tests him. Isaac is born. Take your son, your only son whom you love, and sacrifice him to me. God never wanted him to kill Isaac, did he? Of course not. But it was a foreshadowing of Christ who would be sacrificed for our sin. And in that, God was testing and maturing Abram. Sometimes these things come together in ways we can't understand. 2 Samuel 24. God incites David to number the people in a census, which the king was not to do. A parallel passage, 1 Chronicles 21. It says Satan tempted David to do the very thing. Satan's temptation was meant for destruction. God's testing meant for David's well-being and God's glory. The book of Job is another example. So this is a prayer, loved ones, that the testings and trials that God ordains for your good do not lead you and I into temptation and to sin in our hearts against God. Whatever afflictions, whatever difficult, dark providences, God, keep us close that our faith would not fail. We're in a battle. As Packer says, we're like a person wandering blindfolded with ears plugged in the middle of a city street with traffic coming both ways. Do we realize that? But third, God offers escape. When we pray, deliver us from evil, one thing we're asking God for is common grace. God, in your mercy, restrain the worst evil that is in my heart from coming out. Restrain the worst evil in this city, in this world. God, hear the prayer that we have for your restraining hand on evil. This is a prayer when you have thorns and trials. God, I'm being tested right now. Help me, like Paul, with a thorn in the flesh to know and believe your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made perfect in my weakness. This is a prayer remembering in every temptation, God provides a way out. Jesus said to Peter, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Peter wasn't praying. Peter wasn't listening like us so often. He wasn't hearing and trusting God by faith. 1 Corinthians, God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Not that God will not give you more than you can handle. You heard that? That's not in the Bible. 
God always gives us more than we can handle. That's the point of God's grace. We can't handle it. We need him. But God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Meaning, God, do not permit me to be in situations where the enticement of sin will be greater than I can bear. Knowing where and when we're tempted. God, provide a way of escape. When we pray that, he will answer. He may divert your interest. He may provide an external hindrance. We pray he will change your desire. He may move you in your job. He may take you and I to heaven. In his covenant of grace, God is committed to ensure that you, his people, that Jesus bought with his blood, will not fall into the grip of sin and deny the Lord. If you are truly in Christ, you cannot be taken out of Christ. We need to recognize how frail we are and remember restoring grace. We've all given in to sin and temptation. We're all both sinners and we've been sinned against. Peter denied the Lord and Jesus said he would, but Jesus also said this, Peter Satan demands to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew Peter would fail. But Jesus was praying for Peter by the power of the gospel. That's how we live the daily life in the battle we're in against temptation and sin. Jesus came and bruised the head of the serpent back in Genesis 3 that God said would happen by destroying the works of the devil, by dying on the cross, by rising from the dead. We live now between D-Day and V-E Day. June 1944, D-Day, the war is over. Victory is assured. Christ has won. He has accomplished your salvation. VE Day wasn't until May of 1945. Some of the bloodiest battles of the war happened then. The Battle of the Bulge. There are still skirmishes going on. Satan is defeated, but not yet destroyed. And in this time when God is making us more like Christ, we pray, Psalm 121, God, keep me from all evil. I can't do it. You have to fight this battle for me. You are my strength. You're clothed in the gospel armor of God. Jesus fights for you with the gospel boots of peace, with the helmet of salvation, with the sword of the Spirit, with the shield of faith, the armor of God. God delivers us from temptation. He uses means to do it. The means of grace, word and sacrament and prayer. When we forsake the assembling of ourselves, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, we place our soul in spiritual danger. We weaken our resistance to the attacks of the devil. We can't live the Christian life alone. We need each other. We need the gathering of God's people. We need the Lord's Supper and baptism and prayer and the love of the fellowship of the saints and the word of God and worship. We are worshiping creatures. We're made to worship. We need to worship the Lord together. 
Jesus, who destroyed the works of the devil, also is your advocate in heaven now. Jesus was tempted by the devil the same way that Adam was. The lust of the eye, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. But Christ, the last Adam, did not sin. He obeyed where Adam sinned. He obeyed when Israel had disobeyed. Israel wandering for 40 years in the desert. Christ, the perfect Israel of God, being tempted for those times, those 40 days when he's in the desert, recapitulating the life of Israel, obeying for you in your place. Satan comes to him. Satan speaks a denial of God's word to him. He twists it. And because Jesus overcomes in our place, we have an assurance of conquest. He has suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help you when you're tempted. He himself is our high priest who is tempted in every way as you are and I am. And yet without sin. Not that he's gone through every temptation that you and I have faced in Minnetonka, Minnesota in 2022. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying much more than that. Here's what one writer says. The great difference between our temptations and Jesus is that our hearts give in to temptation. We have a way out under the pressure of temptation. And the pressure ceases when we concede and we cave in. We know that. But Jesus did not sin. He could not sin. The pressure, the offense that every incitement to sin must have been for his holy and harmless and undefiled heart never stopped building. There's no temptation you or I will face that can climb to the tidal wave of temptation that crashed upon the sinless Son of God. Our temptations are like a drop of water. His is like the ocean. And that means this. We can never comprehend the severity of his temptations, but he can comprehend ours. This writer says, We cannot sympathize with his. We cannot fathom what it meant for him, but he can always sympathize with yours. He is so sensible and aware of your temptations. It is as if he himself lay under them right now for you and did feel them in his own soul. As in music, when one string is touched, all the rest make a noise. So when we suffer, Christ's heart sounds. We cannot be tempted, but he is touched. He sympathizes with you. He fathoms it. There's no depth of temptation or testing into which you can descend where he does not meet you there with sympathy and kindness and grace. Emmaus Road, look to the object of your faith, Jesus, when you're tempted. Remember the goal, the crown that awaits, that God has promised to those who love him. Don't lose sight of that. The tried and tempted and tested Christian will be a crowned Christian by God's grace through the work of your Savior who loved you, 
who gave himself for you. You bear the cross for a time, but brothers and sisters, you will wear the crown for eternity. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding right now for each one of his people. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we join together now, and we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.